Welcome to episode 15 of the Faith to Influence podcast. I'm Justin Janowski, the founder and CEO of Faith to Influence, and oftentimes your host. Today, though, I have the pleasure of introducing David Gonzalez, who is hosting our guest, Danny Byram. David on our team does a lot of the marketing. He's responsible for the videos and the photos and a lot of the stuff you see online if you follow our brand at all. And Danny Byram is our guest today. Danny is a great man who we've got a lot of love and a lot of appreciation for. Danny is an author of the book Wallpaper Worship, and he's really the head of a movement to shift and grow the way in which we are showing up for worship, the way in which worship leaders are leading their churches. He's also a songwriter. He's a recording artist, a speaker, and a producer. He's traveled across five continents across the globe, uh, oftentimes giving concerts for military personnel. He has released over seven CDs of his music, and he has given over 100 concerts a year for many years. His music is exceptional. It's inspiring. He's also just been a huge voice in the Christian community, and he's collaborating with Uh, Gary Chapman of the Five Love Languages on an event they're leading for worship leaders this summer, which you can learn more about at his website, which we share at the end of the episode. And he's just a good man. He's a a husband. He's a father of three. And he's a Colorado guy like myself. And I know that you'll really enjoy this episode on wallpaper worship. And he talks in this episode not only about worship, but he talks about deep family relationships and the value of that. He talks about presence and how important that is. He talks about identity and he shares the idea that we ought to live every single day, one day at a time and enjoy every single moment, one moment at a time. Enjoy the moments in this podcast episode. And as always, we've got a gift for you at f2igift.com. We'll share more about that at the end. Enjoy. Today, our guest, our friend, is Danny Byram, and Danny has done a lot of things. Um, I'm excited to interview him. He's he's a cool guy. He's done. He's been he's been around the world, and he's done a lot of cool things. Um, he he grew up as an Air Force brat, traveling the world as with his father, who was a chaplain. Correct. That's right. Yeah, and then you taught yourself to be or how to play the guitar at a very young age, and you were performing also at a very young age. Yes. And then you spent most of your musical career gallivanting on the army bases across the world, playing for those guys. That's cool. Danny is also a author and a fantastic musician. He leads worship all over the place. Now, are you specifically leading worship in one place now, or do you still travel around and do things everywhere? Yeah, it's, it's my career has always been about being kind of itinerant, honestly. And uh, I have, I have been on staff of a number of churches through the years, you know, as, mm-hmm. as a worship and arts director and, and as a worship leader, etc. But honestly, even then uh, being on staff at churches, I was still traveling all over the world in between Sundays and, you know, certain times of the year, uh, working with our U S chaplains, our, our chaplains in, in uh, the army, the Navy and the air force. So uh, it's been, Basically, 30 years of, uh, we just celebrated our 30th year two years ago um, mm. of this ministry of basically just being a, a resource guy for U.S. Uh, military chaplains all over the world. Yeah, that's cool. So I'm interested to know, and I'm sure the audience would want to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us how you made it to this point of your life? Just unscathed. You're still here. You're breathing. You're alive. You're thriving. You've got a lot of energy. Tell us a little bit about your story there, buddy. Well, the first thing that I would correct is unscathed. <laughs> I am not unscathed. I've got the scars to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> Emotionally, you know, some physically, who knows? But uh, anyway, uh, and we can, you know, we can get into some of that. But, uh, you know, honestly, my story is 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 really interesting. I, was, I graduated from college with my music degree. All I wanted to do was go to Nashville, write songs, have other people record my songs. So I got this great passive income for the rest of my life on, you know, my songs being played and being used out there and, and also record and write and tour. I, you know, I just wanted to be an artist. Uh, I was an artist. I was already performing professionally when I was 17 years old and, uh, and then went on, on through college and left college. And it was really interesting because as I was trying to get started with my eye towards moving to Nashville, I had graduated from Oral Roberts university with my music degree. So, you know, religious college, uh, very much about life changing type, 
stuff, really wanting to give all the graduates a vision for going out and doing great things. But my vision was all about me. Mm. My vision was all about, you know, what I can do to be self, to just realize what I can do, you know, in music and in performing. So uh, as I was doing kind of with my eye on, on Nashville and doing clubs and doing what I was doing uh, away from, you know, out having already graduated, I met a pastor who had started a church that was like in, we were in Oklahoma, at the, I was in Oklahoma at the time, and just this, this church that for today's standards would be, would be considered a mega church. And uh, he told me something. He said, you know what? He said, your gifts, the gifts that you have of performing, of, of knowing an audience, of knowing how to weave songs together, knowing how to write songs, knowing how to perform them, record them. He goes, all of that stuff that you know how to do, he goes, it is so obvious that your gifts are set aside for ministry. And man, I didn't want to hear that, you know, because I wanted to just go, quote, be a successful star. But that really got in me. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do with these things? So the journey began and, uh, you know, through ebbs and flows and all of this stuff, I, I, I was still trying to pursue my own dream and my own career with that in the back of my mind. And basically after about three or four years, I had married my, uh, my college sweetheart and, uh, but she took off to go do an acting career. I took off to go do my music career. And in three years, basically what was supposed to be a lifetime of marriage ended. Yeah. So here I am now a Christian guy, um, who's, who's got a broken marriage in his, in his, in his craw, who's got a career that's just not taking off the way that I thought it should. Yeah. What am I going to do? You know? And I was 20, what, 26, 27 at the time. I already had two songs on the, uh, the billboard top 100 that had, that had gone up uh, and charted. But in many ways, David, I felt uh, just very empty inside and very much those words were ringing in the back of my mind. Your gifts were set aside for ministry. Yeah. So uh, I wound up taking a break for about six months up in the mountains of Colorado. I went to a conference center where my dad as a chaplain had spoken. We had been there many times uh, with our family. And I wound up just volunteering and saying, let me just stay here and do the work of the camp. Yeah. And that became a sabbatical for me, and it became what I call a life gate. I walk through that gate, and everything behind me, that gate shut everything behind me. Everything behind me was gone. It was only about where are you going to go from here? Do the next thing. And for, I mean, just to make a, I, we could talk the whole podcast just about this part of my story alone. Yeah. But let me just wrap it up, this part of it, to just say this. When I walked through that life gate of taking a sabbatical away from my career, away from everything I knew, way up in the mountains at this conference center, I met my, my wife of 32 years now, um, and an entire new ministry with my abilities in music and as a performer were launched from that conference center, which became a worldwide ministry of working with chaplains, uh, U.S. military chaplains all over the world for 30 years. Hmm. And 11 albums later, <laughs> here I am, unscathed, as you said. Yeah. Well, you're still alive. You've got your hands and limbs, and you're still doing the Lord's work, and that's important. I think your your battle scars are going to – they're great. They're great testimonies and um, lots of wisdom and, and nuggets there. So how pivotal – so we know how important it was for you to take that sabbatical – uh, in our culture today, we we were we were so busy octopusing and busying ourselves with all these things. How how do we get to a point where we're encouraging men, women, people just to to pause, to take a break, to really rest, to take that sabbatical, to close the gate behind them, and to really press into the things that really matter. That's a great question. And that's one that uh, you can pay thousands of dollars to go to a conference where they're going to tell you the very thing we're about to tell you right now, you know, in this little podcast, people are constantly looking for answers to that question. How can I break from what I'm doing? How can I just stop what I'm doing and, and just and not take a six month break like I did, which honestly turned into two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. I went for six months. It turned into two and a half years. It was a real life gate, but you know, I think for the, 
this is going to sound really cliche, but it's not. It's not. For somebody who, who's following Christ, who calls himself a believer, who calls himself a Christian, a disciple, a follower, whatever, of Christ, the answers for all of these kinds of questions are really very, very clearly revealed in the scriptures. They really are. And so many guys are like, I just don't have time to read. And when I read the Bible, I go to sleep in two minutes. You know, I mean, it's the perfect thing to put me to sleep. There's the answers of life are there through the stories of those who've walked before us. Those who've done the exact same things we've done. No, you're not going to read about guys in business with the internet in the Bible, right? But you are going to read about kings who their lives were pretty full. You know, you're going to read about guys who were itinerant, like Paul, you know, on the road all the time. You're going to read about guys who had problems with guys on their team who they had to split. You know, how did they do that in a way that was amiable? You know, how did they, you know, you're going to read about all of those kinds of life experiences that we have all the time, right there in the Bible. So when you talk about this rest thing, I always go to Hebrews chapter four. In fact, I just got there on my phone while you were asking that question. I was like, well, let's, let's see what the Bible says. You know, let's, let's go to Hebrews 4. They talk, he talks so clearly about the rest and about Sabbath rest. And I'm not going to sit here and read this to everybody, but because they can go themselves to Hebrews 4 and read about it. But the point is this. If God rested one day out of seven, he commanded his people, Israel, to do the same. You want to be like me? Do the things I do. Here's one of the things I do. I rest, totally rest. I take a Sabbath. God himself did that as an example to us. We got to do the same thing. Why, how, can we, how can we think that we're exempt from this? How can we think that, you know, we, we, we hear what God says, we see that, and we see the example that he set, and then we go, but I'm exempt from that. Yeah. You know, how logical is that, right? Yeah. So in essence, your, your response is simple as just going back to the beginning going back to the word, going back to Hebrews, going back to Genesis where he's doing these things and he's resting. Like he puts in his, his, he puts in his work and he rests in, in that sabbatical. You said you took uh, six months time to, to take a break. How, how did that shape your ministry, your music and your, your outlook and your views on, on just your faith in the world? How did that play into that and shape it? You know, that's a great question. Um, and we're kind of talking off the top of our heads right now with one another, you know, so so that everybody knows this. these are not prepared comments. <laughs> you know, this is just real life stuff right now. That's that's uh, how I like it. Yeah, yeah, that's how everybody likes it. That's that's how it needs to be. Um, how did how did that rest shape, you know, these things? I didn't go into that thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to have a sabbatical. And out of that, I'm going to have a whole new business plan for my life, you know, so to speak. Or I'm going to have a whole new life plan. It was, it was really about coming out of that time of just complete crazy business, busyness and failure, personal failure in my own life, to just go, all I have to do is the next thing. Do the next thing. And as I went through day after day after day doing the next thing that I was supposed to do that was in front of me, there became, I guess, a self-awareness of going. I, I remember one day I was, I was, I was, uh, let me give you an example of this. I was, um, I was shoveling the walk. Okay. It was the winter time. We had a conference coming in and I was shoveling the walk really early in the morning before everybody would go from their, uh, their cabins, et cetera, to the dining room. Okay. So I'm shoveling the walk, just getting it cleared off. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that task, I remembered how I had wronged my cousin. And I'm not going to get into what that was because it's not important. The point is, all of a sudden, I'm thinking about something I did and somebody that I need to reconcile with. I, as soon as I finished shoveling, I went back to my cabin and I wrote my cousin this letter and said, I was shoveling snow today. And suddenly I remembered how I slighted you in this particular situation. Da, 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 da. Will you forgive me? Blah, blah, blah. That little thing is what happens when we draw aside things like that. It's just, it's just there, there happens a self-awareness begins to happen that I don't think we're going to get in the hurriedness of, of everything else we're doing. 
the whole thing about rest is is that it's so fundamental. And you know what? You could go to you can go to big conferences where they will tell you, and and even Michael Hyatt, who's one of my heroes, right? You know, one of the leaders out there who's training leaders. He even says in his in his curricula uh, how important it is to you know eat right and 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 get exercise and all this stuff, but also to have a time. Unless you schedule rest, you never we're never going to do it. It's got to come onto our schedule as no, this day is totally a Sabbath for me. I'm not going to think about because what do we do? You know, we'll we'll go up on a camping trip and we'll take our devices with us, right? I mean, even in faith to influence, when I went to the retreat, you guys were like check your phones at the door and here's the basket. You know, and some, some were willing to do that. Some were not, but the point was made. The point was schedule this rest time, schedule it, or it's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. It's so interesting that we have the habit of not really taking care of ourselves. Like we're in the habit of not scheduling our rest and giving ourselves break for certain things so that we can experience more of life. Like if I'm so distracted with all these things that I can't really control with business and people and audience, I'm totally going to miss out on the rest and enjoying the things that are right in front of me. For me right now, that's my family. And a big part of that is just like, I think the emphasis is just to schedule the time to enjoy what it is you have, like take stock. You worked hard. We all work hard all the time. Why should we not enjoy that thing? Well, right. that's that's a great point. And you know what? On top of that is this, David. It is that if, because you, you mean so many guys that are like, you know, I've just, I've, if I can just reach this point in my career or in my, in my, my sales or my revenue or even guys in ministry, if I can just reach this point in our ministry, then I'll have the time to fill in the blank, right? It never happens because the habit of taking rest is not already established. Mm-hmm. The habit of working like crazy to get to the point where I can take rest is established. How do we, why do we think if we meet a certain goal in sales or in ministry or whatever it is we're involved in that from that point on, that's the switch that, you know, if I can just reach this amount of revenue, boom, we're going to, or this amount of baptisms or this amount of attendance or, or this popularity, uh, you know, online, that all of a sudden, boom, then I'll be able to flip the switch and become something different than what I've been. It's not about what we accomplish, as wonderful as that is. It's about who are we as we accomplish what we're accomplishing. Yeah, That's a so, great message. Yeah, so we wouldn't have to check ourselves into these mindfulness clinics if we were in the, in the habit of actually practicing it once a week. We'd be good at it versus exactly. waiting to, yeah, waiting till we're at our wits end and we need to be admit it to some kind of place that's going to really <laughs> detox us from the world and the distractions and our work workaholism. That's a really, it's a really good, uh, interesting point. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, this is a good point to transition to the event that we're hosting next summer because uh, we're hosting our first event uh, for worship leaders and their spouses. And it's called recalibrate and renew a worship leader intensive. And this is exactly the reason we're doing it. We're basically saying to them, we're going, Hey, leave it, leave it for three and a half days, leave it all behind, come to this incredible, gorgeous conference center, which is the conference center where I served for for those and took that six month break. Come to the conference center, get up here for three and a half days and hear some great speaking, but also get out, do some hiking, do some, do some fishing, recalibrate and renew your hearts because what you're going to take back to your ministry as a worship leader and back to your team that you lead and back to the people that you work for and back to your congregants that you lead three and a half days here in this environment could make all the difference in what you're bringing, you know, to, to, to what you do. Yeah. Yeah. What does a, a thorough recalibration look like in part? I think <laughs> we're not going to have a thorough recalibration until we meet Jesus. Hmm. I think that's what this life is all about. This life is about calibrating and recalibrating over and over and over and over again. It is a journey, not a destination. Well, cool, Danny. Thank you for that. Let's let's talk about you as an author. Like you're a musician, but also you're an author. Can you tell us a little bit about your book and that process? 
Sure, you bet. I uh, was asked years ago as I'm out doing conferences, leading worship, et cetera, that there was this one conference that happened to be in Hawaii where they said, oh, by the way, we would like for you to teach on leading worship. Uh, we've got all these worship leaders coming to this conference and pastors, et cetera, and they want to hear what you have to say about that. And I'll tell you, Gonzo, my first response to that was teach on leading worship. You don't teach about leading worship. You just go lead worship, right? You just go do it. So it it forced me to really think about the 20 years prior to that, that I've been doing that really my whole life. How do I do this? What do I bring to the platform? How do I know how to read what's going on out there? What's, you know, how do I know how to, how to make audibles right up on stage and change a song or do something different or cut the band or why do I do the things I do? You know? Uh, and it really caused me to have to think about that practically, but also theologically. So what happened from that point on, that was about 1999 or 2000. I mean, it was a long time ago. Okay. And I had already had what, since 87, many, many years on the road. Uh, doing this full time. So I started to develop basically a workshop and a, and, a, and a whole curriculum. And that's what the book is based on. The, my book, Wallpaper Worship, Why Church Music Sounds Better, Fewer Are Singing, and What to Do About It, is that curriculum in a book form. Hmm. It talks about what worship is, what worship isn't, and what worship can be. And I'll tell you, it's beginning to change the conversation out there with a lot of churches and a lot of leaders. It's pretty exciting. So as a, I don't know how often you get to participate in just being a part of worship versus leading it, Mm -hmm. but as someone who is participating in worship, how 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 do we experience God through worship? Like how do we come to the worship service and put certain things down. Like there's a lot of things in the world and busyness and, and stuff that bogs us down from experiencing God. What does that look like? How should congregates expect to experience God through worship? Well, a congregant, it's going to be tough because we've all been there. We, we approach our worship services or our corporate worship gatherings. And it's like, okay, we just had to spank one of the kids or we just had to, you know, one of them spilled something all over the front of them before we left the house. And, you know, so we're going to be late. And, you know, my wife said something to me that, that kind of insulted me, but, uh, or, or I said something harsh to her or, you know, so you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The family circus all of a sudden shows up and it's like, now I'm supposed to walk into this quote sanctuary, (laughs) you know, which means peace by itself. That word It's like, I'm supposed to walk into this and and engage in worship. Yeah. See where my ministry is at Gonzo is all about talking to the leaders about, you know what? You can't control that. You can't Mm -hmm. control where your congregants are coming from. Um, all of the life things uh, that they're bringing and the, and the experiences of their week or their day or their morning or their whole lives that they're bringing into this worship service, you have no control over that. But what you do have control over is what's going to happen on that platform that's going to bring this plethora of people's experiences into one moment, one voice, one unity. Hmm. And if what the leaders are doing on the platform detracts from that or even undermines that. Hmm. That's where my ministry comes in. That's where our book comes in. That's where our, you know, conferences come in, our, our, our camps, our retreats, all the things that we're wanting to do come in to basically speak to the leaders and say, let's recalibrate this. How can we really reach in and, you know, and, and pull that congregation into a unity of voice and experience, no matter whether it's a contemporary service a traditional service, or even a liturgical service? How can we, quote, um, you know, make the gap between the people and the platform lessen, you know, so that we're all together in this and bringing them to a really, um, you know, meaningful experience corporately? Yeah, so in your observation, are worship ministers, are they affected by the wake, like, say, the emotional wake or just the, the craziness that the congregation is there a vibe that gets sent out and they fill in and it affects them? Is that is that kind of what happens with worship leaders? I no, actually, I think it's the opposite. Really, I think the leaders bring what they think to the platform, and then if it communicates and it communicates something, something yeah. to the congregants, it either communicates we're all in this together, let's go there together, 
it communicates, uh, we don't really care whether you participate or not. We just got our thing or it doesn't communicate anything at all. They just get up and do what they do, whether anybody's into it or not. And uh, so it's, you know, it's all about speaking a particular language. Yeah. And how do you speak a particular language to um, a congregation, whether it be a small one or a big one? Oh, man. In the same way that I, as a husband, speak a language to my wife, or I, as a dad, speak a language to my kids, or I, or maybe if those who are listening are into sales, it's the same way that they speak a language to their customers, to their market, okay? It's the same way in ministry from the platform. I have to know, three, there's three things there. I have to know that the people have a language. Hmm. I got to recognize that they have a language and it may be different than mine. I, and so that leads to the second thing. I got to know their language. Number two is I got to learn their language. And number three is I need to speak their language. Yeah. And if I will do that, all of a sudden, it's like unity happens. Um, I'm actually pastoring them. I'm actually leading them. I'm actually shepherding them. Uh, a leader who walks out on stage and basically just is a lead singer of a band or is even a priest who's just giving some liturgy in a language nobody even understands is just doing his own thing and expecting everybody to respond to it. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. So in it essence, doesn't, it doesn't work that way in families and it doesn't work that way in relationships and it doesn't work that way in sales. It doesn't work that way in marketing. And it certainly doesn't work that way in church. Yeah. So in essence, it's not just about building a rapport, but it's actually being in rapport with your congregation. How much of that, how much of that language and, and having this established, like being in rapport with your congregation uh, speaking the language, whether it be your congregation, your family, you, or somebody else, how much of that is reliant on just your relation vertically, like with the Lord? Well, the relationship vertically with the Lord for a leader in church is the given. It needs to be the given. It's supposed yeah, yeah. to be the given, right? So let's assume it's the given, that the person who is in ministry, who's on the platform leading a congregation, has a viable a live relationship with the Lord. Okay. I've seen a lot of people who have that and have this knowledge of how to reach into a congregation and bring them into that, into, into their own relationship with God and then point them, you know, heavenward. I've also seen people with really good, viable, alive relationships with the Lord on the platform who have no idea how to communicate that. Mm. You know, they have no, they just come out and do their thing and do this pre-planned thing or whatever and hope that it sticks and hope that people relate to what they're talking about. Um, that's the basis of homiletics in, in seminary. It's all about teaching these young pastors how to communicate in a way that people will understand what they're saying. You yeah. don't get up and do a sermon on the, the way the Levitical priests robes were put together out of Leviticus and numbers, you know, and then expect people to get into that. You know, you've got to communicate these things in a way that people will understand them and say, ah, yeah, that guy understands where I'm at. Etc. I don't think it has a lot to do with whether or not somebody on the platform is quote walking with Christ. We have to assume they already are. The, yeah. the, the question is, do they do they possess the ability to to read the audience and be able to bring them into what they're doing? Yeah, it's interesting. The going maybe talking a little bit on identity, and this isn't specific to worship, but just in any kind of ministry. Um, you see like where there's a divergence from just from God a little bit where people start to take in. We're certainly me and my wife are certainly guilty of this because we want to be like known as the servants. So our identity starts to become, be a part, be in our ability to serve people. And if we're not serving people, we're losing our identity. And, and it kind of goes back to the whole resting, like really taking a sabbatical, really like recalibrating, really that's the right word, like recalibrating, what it is we're doing, why we're doing it, and whose power are we doing this through? So we we struggled with a little bit of that in the last couple of years. Just like if we weren't serving, we we lost ourselves, or we we're missing something. How does that play into the worship side of it? When people do, the people get lost in their identity when they're doing these kinds of things, or how does how do we stay grounded in the Lord? Well, I think that this has to do with how we see ourselves. Do we see ourselves through what we do or do we see ourselves through what God says we are? In other words, you know, if, if, if I'm, 
if my identity comes through my good deeds and through my service or through what I do, et cetera, and this could be in your, in your career, you know, in, in what you're doing as well as, you know, your, your life as a, as a follower of Christ, you know, how do we see ourselves? Is, is my identity, am I identified because I'm writing books and I'm recording albums and I'm speaking all over the place or whatever? Is that what defines me or is what defines me who I am in my Sabbath rest? who I am in, in those moments when no one's looking, who I am in those moments, uh, in those intimate relationships or, or those, uh, not necessarily that, but I mean, in my, uh, in those quiet, uh, alone times with my spouse, am I the same in all those situations? Who am I? And so that's the person that I'm bringing to those deeds and that service, et cetera. How do we, as Christians, how do we as like just the lay people, how do we lead our families in worship? I know, I know worship isn't just only about being in a church and singing unto the Lord. That's, that's, that's a part of it, but how do we, or how do you rather just kind of lead your family into worshiping the Lord? That's a, that's a really hard question for me to answer because it's like, what did you do, Danny, you know, with your family when your kids were young, right? What did you do with them to, quote, lead them in worship? Oh, man, we'd have family meetings, you know, and family conferences where we would pray about big things that were happening or whatever. But with the kids, you know, growing up, <laughs> I mean, it is so fast. It is so crazy. You got three, you know, all in different stages of what's yeah. going on. And I know some guys that have that have really been very faithful with having a quote a family worship time. We were not that family. Yeah, you know? I was not that dad. Uh, the kids knew about our faith, of course. They saw me on the platform a lot. We tried to be the same at home as we were everywhere, and that what we brought to the platform was hopefully authentic. Um, and there were times when it wasn't. You know, there 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 just was. But uh, you know, how do you lead your family in worship? Is, is going to is a question that I think is going to translate to a listener of this as, oh my gosh, I got to be a musician. Uh, I got to lead my family in singing. You know, uh, I got I got to be able to play the guitar and, and lead in a few songs that they're hearing at church. You know, I don't think that's the question that we need to be asking. I think the question is, how can I be the same with my kids? How can the how can my kids see that I am a man of faith at home? I'm a man of faith. I'm consistent in, in the corporate worship setting. How can I send my kids off to youth group and still be, you know, uh, connected with them in regards to their relationship with Christ? How can I have meaningful and real re- questions on, on a spiritual level with my kids without them feeling like I'm just putting on some sort of a program or following a, you know, a devotional book, you know, with, yeah. you know, yeah. And it, it probably would have been helpful for us to define worship at the beginning on the onset. I think uh, I always think it's it's also a matter of you know how we spend our time and how we spend our resources is is one of the ways by which and it wasn't just a musical thing it's just how do we how do we lead our families in worshiping the Lord you know? yeah yeah and honoring the Lord and worshiping Him in 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 all of those things you know one of those expressions could be teaching kids hey you know if you're gonna make twenty five bucks off of this you're gonna make fifty dollars babysitting. Take five bucks of that and set it aside as I'm going to give that on Sunday, you know? Yeah. And then, then, you know, that's an act of worship and that's a way to teach them, you know, some of those things. Um, I would say as a parent, one of the things that we tried very hard not to do, especially because we were in ministry and I was on the platform a lot was be very legalistic with our kids about faith. That the expression of our faith means we have to do this and we have to do that. And we've got to make sure that we, that we check these boxes uh, you know, of a, of a devotional time and a Bible reading and a this and a that and da, da, da. Angela and I really wanted our lives to just, for, for our faith expression with our kids to be like breathing. It was just part of who we were. It was part of what we did. If we did disciplines like Bible reading and things of that nature, maybe, you know, even at Christmas time or Easter or whatever, or we went through some Advent things or some Lent things, they were not because we're supposed to do these things because we're Christians. It was a natural expression of, hey, this is going to be great because this is who we are, you know? Yeah. My wife tells me whenever she was young, one of the things she remembers most about her dad is his faithfulness. And every morning she'd wake up, he was literally on his knees, on his face, 
reading the Bible or praying. And she'd see that like religiously as growing up, she would see him do that faithfully. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his faithfulness and the way he worshiped God, the way he was faithful unto the Lord shaped a lot of her own spiritual rhythms and so forth. Uh, and I thought, I thought that was interesting because I, it was a bit alien to me because I didn't see that at all growing up because I didn't grow up from a, my family wasn't very religious. So it was, it's interesting to see that contrast between me and my wife and, mm-hmm. and how I'm, you know, it just, it, that kind of stuff even shapes me, even though I didn't experience it directly, I was able mm-hmm. to experience it through her and I see her faithfulness and it helps to shape me and my um, steadfastness with the Lord. And, mm-hmm. and hopefully that will be contagious enough for my kids to pick it up, you know? Absolutely. All right. So transitioning on to your business, you've got a lot going on. How do you balance all that from being a father to being a husband to leading worship and all the other things that you're doing? Yeah, it's it's all about being present. And that is something I've had a lot of struggles with in my life because I tend to be pretty ADD-ish, you know, jump from thing to thing, you know, task to task and not relating them or jumping from thought to thought. Or when my wife's saying something to me, I'm already ahead of that and thinking about something else as opposed to being present with what she's saying. Same is true with fathering. Now that I'm at this stage of life, I can look back on my fathering and go, Ugh. you know, I'm, I missed, I really missed some opportunities here to be really, really present. Hmm. Uh, or looking back and going, God, I was really, I was more present with my kids than I was with her, with my wife. And now that the kids are gone. <laughs> It's just the two of us, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, how am I going to be present? So for me, David, it was really about, it's really about being present, really being present. And I love that prayer of uh, Reinhold Niebuhr. And I kind of referenced it earlier. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I, I cannot change the things to uh, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. You know, that's just the first part of the prayer. Um, Here's, here's, here's some of the rest of it. And I'll just read this. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time. Really? Is that even possible, you know, for, for some guys listening to this podcast? Because they're so involved in their business. They're so involved. You know, and they're like, man, I've got to reach these certain goals. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But can you live one day at a time and enjoy one moment at a time? I'll continue. Accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Wow. Taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Hmm. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with with you forever in the next life. Amen. (laughs) Great prayer. But for me, that's all about staying present in the moment. That doesn't mean I I forsake my schedule. I forsake my goals. I forsake, you know, planning ahead and all that stuff. Uh -uh. It means being present in that. So it all boils down to this. Do the next thing. The next thing may be the next goal you need to get to. It may be the next podcast you need to talk on. It may be the next phone call I got to make. Or it may be I need to recalibrate and take a break. I need to rest. What is the next thing for you? Yeah, it seems countercultural. Like our culture wants us to just focus on everything and not, it's almost a call to be single-minded, to just be single-minded in, in, in what we're doing unto the Lord, like really focus on the next thing, the next right thing. What's the next right thing that I can take on and do and not just do haphazardly or do a shoddy job of it, but to really... Uh, engage in that one thing, f- like focused, similar to being in a conversation. Are are we entering into a conversation and having that conversation? Are we? Am I engaging in this conversation with you, Danny Byram, and looking at my phone and worrying about what I'm going to eat for dinner? Like, does that that just takes away from the whole experience and and the ability to be present when we don't do that? Yeah, I'm finding that this is something that I'm thinking about constantly. Uh, more than ever in my life. And now I'm, I'm at this stage in my life and I'm going, Oh, I wish I'd known this 30 years ago. Oh, I wish I'd practiced this 30 years ago, but be that as it may, I'm finding that when I'm even like after a performance or something that I give, uh, you know, and, and people want to talk afterwards and stuff, 
I'm really fine. I, I mean, I'm beginning to, to, to see in my mind, I'm beginning to, to, to be the self-awareness thing where I'm going, listen to what she or he is saying to you right now. What are they saying? What are they doing? What, you know, what, what do they really want here? You know, and what can I give you know, in this situation when there's a number of other people saying, Hey, I want to say something. I want to say something. It's really focusing in on that person in that present and that, that moment, you know, and, and what's happening in that, in that moment. Let me give you an example. This is really interesting. My brother-in-law was at the hospital last night because his, his, uh, uh, you know, he's in a relationship with a guy who's in the hospital right now and all this kind of stuff. And he's running around and one of her kids is also, you know, had a, had a skateboard accident. So that kid, he's, he's going to a different place to visit that kid because he's in intensive care. And then his girlfriend, you know, this woman that he's with is, is going, you know, she's got, she's in the hospital. So he's, he's jockeying between two different people in the hospital. A lot going on with that. All of a sudden, guess who he runs to? runs into in the hallway of the hospital. He runs into the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas. Very famous guy, Jeffers, Pastor Jeffers, Robert Jeffers. And he's, you know, he recognizes him, right? Mm-hmm. So my brother-in-law goes up to him and says, hey, Pastor Jeffers, I just want you to know, I hear your podcast and I, I've seen you on television and I did it. I so appreciate the way you articulate the gospel. And he said, this man sat down with him. He said, here, sit down, tell me who you are. Why are you here in the hospital? And so my brother-in-law began to just share with this very famous pastor, hey, this is, this is who I'm here with Kimberly and I'm here with so-and-so and da-da-da-da and all of this. And I just want you to know, you know, and this man said, tell me their names because I want to pray for them. And he prays with him on the spot. He just, he listens to him and they spent like an hour together. Yeah. I mean, I, that gives me chills. Who am I to think that I am more important and what I'm doing is more important than what somebody else is going through who all of a sudden God crosses our paths, right? To just be present in that moment, to live one day and enjoy one moment at a time. I love that. Yeah, that's so good. It's a hard thing to do. It's a discipline, isn't it? It's a discipline. It's it's a virtue. It's it's one of those hard things to do when you you go up to somebody, the... uh, I think it's a joke. I can't, I might even be butchering it when I say this, but if you're teaching three-year-olds, you're doing a lot of the talking. If you're, if you're talking to your wife, you know, you're kind of sharing in what you're discussing. If you're talking to maybe a genius like Albert Einstein, you're not talking so much. And if you're talking to say Jesus or God, then you're pretty much listening. But what's so interesting about what you shared is this man being who he is, right? Or at least there's this perception of who he is from your brother. He was willing to to put that all aside and receive this guy and hear him out and, mm-hmm. and press into him and be present to what he was saying. And I just wonder what, what our culture would look like, what I would look like if I did that more uh, in all the different spheres of my influence, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's so great, David. That's, that's fantastic. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. And and I, I think that's our challenge. It really is in the day that we live in, the day of total distractions. Yeah. It, you know, and it's you're you're like, hey, that's a hard thing to do. That's a virtue. Well, it's a discipline. It's something we have to choose. It really is. And that's the way it's been for me. And I'm finding I'm finding at this point in my life that the more I choose, the easier it is to choose. Mm, that's a good one. Um, you know, yeah, the more the more you choose, the easier it is for you to choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really true. It's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's a lot more fun to eat a, um, a Cinnabon, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, than to pass it up and, 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 and do something else. But the more you choose, the easier it is to choose. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're compounding something. If you're eating those Cinnabons and those are, those <laughs> things are good. Uh, it's compounding and there's going to be consequences and side effects and so forth. And also if you're choosing not to do it, there's a good compounding effect as well, because it, I guess it builds up your tolerance and your resistance to certain things, certain temptations. Yeah. And for, for me, honestly, as a performer, I've, I've found that uh, in my relationship with my wife, that there were so many times in the past decades when I would perform, I would act like I'm present but she knew I wasn't or it came up later that I really didn't listen. I really wasn't listening to what she was saying. Cause she's like, I, I went through that whole thing with you and you're acting like I wasn't, you weren't, you weren't there. Were you, you weren't present with me. Were you? Mm. 
you know, and then it's like, well, uh, no, I know I really was honey, because I remember that, 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 you know, it's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at that point in life now where it's like, she's honest. I'm honest. She's always been honest, but I'm to the point where I'm like going, you know what, honey, I need you to repeat that because my thoughts just went off and I wasn't present and I want to be present. Sure. uh, Sure. is a lot better to do that than to try to fake our way through it because honestly people know, and, and, and they know what, you know, and this comes back to what I do in, in, in worship and in teaching worship leaders and, and church leaders, they know the sheep know if, if, if the shepherd is speaking through you, you know, or yeah. if you're just up there doing your own thing and, you know, people are going, ah, I'd rather leave for coffee, you know, than, than sit through this. Yeah. People know. That's true. We wear it on our face. It's, it's so obvious. How, what are some of the things you do to kind of stay present when your wife's engaging you or you're having a conversation with her? Is there specific things that you do specifically to just kind of like lock in with her? It's locking in. It's, it's, it's really for me, it's like, okay, I've got to be, (laughs) I have to make a choice to really focus in on her and go. And, And here's what I'm doing. I'm asking myself the questions I'm going, she this is what, it, when she starts to talk to me like this, you know, just about things that she's experienced or something she wants to talk to me about. I'm finding now that in my mind, I'm, I'm saying this, I'm saying in my mind, she wants to tell you something. This is important to her. And then I also say this, you're the only guy in the world she wants to tell this to. Mm. Period. That's enough for me. I don't know about you, but that's, you know, and I'm not saying it should be for you. I'm just saying that's I know. enough. I, 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 I'm, I'm taking that one with me. That's actually really good because I, if I can apply that with my wife, how much more so could I apply that with God? Like how much more could I really lock in him and, and hear what he's saying to me? Well, yeah. And I mean, and even in business, that's true in, in your own relationship with God, but it's also true in business too. Think about that. Guys are going I got to lock into what this customer is telling me. I got to lock into what the market is telling me about what we're doing. I've got to focus it. They want to tell me something. What is it that, that, that I need to hear right now from them? It, it, it's, it's, it's universal, man. It's with God. Yes. When, when I'm focusing on the scriptures, what are you trying to tell me from this verse? Yeah. What is my customer trying to tell me? What is my son trying to say to me right now? What does my daughter really need through what she's saying? Yeah. What is my spouse really wanting to know? Sometimes as men, our spouses, our wives, they just want to know. They're not trying to tell us anything. Sometimes they just want to know, is he willing to hear me out and listen to things that are completely unrelated to his life, but that are important to me? Is, does, will he just listen to me? The things themselves are not all that important to them. It's, will he listen to me? Yeah. Yeah. If there's no interest there for him, if there's nothing to gain for him, is he still going to listen to me? Precisely. Yeah. And ultimately, that's what a worshiper wants to know from their leaders on the platform. That's what a customer wants to know or a client wants to know from the person they're paying money to for a service or a good. They want to know, do they have me in mind? Or do they just want something from me? Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you'd like to add? There's a lot of people listening to this thing, to, to this podcast who are worshipers, right? Mm-hmm. They are men, you know, maybe some women are listening to this, but I know that faith to influence is primarily to men, but there's a lot of guys out there who are going to church and they're wondering how come what I'm, how come I'm not into this? How come this just isn't speaking to me? And it's not necessarily about a style of music that's being used or maybe even a, you know, whether it's liturgical or not, it's, it's that disconnect. You know, they go to church and they're just experiencing this disconnect. Why am I not connecting with this? And I would say that's my book, Wallpaper Worship addresses that very thing. It's not, this book is not just for leaders. This book is actually beginning to start in, <laughs> a mild insurrection among worshipers to say, I need more than this. You guys aren't speaking to us. You're, I just feel like this is a performance, blah, 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 blah. And beginning to approach leaders and saying, we need more as the sheep. We need something real. We need yeah. something authentic. We need something warm. We need something we can get our heads around. I don't need to just come to church and just be performed at, or just be, you know, 
spoken down to. I want to connect here. Help me connect. And um, that's what this book, I think, gives. This book gives, gives words to that need in congregants. So I would really encourage everybody to get it, to read it, to take it in. Uh, we're going to do an audio book, hopefully soon, of this thing because people are too lazy to sit and read. Me included, yeah. we're too busy. You know, we we want to we want to listen to books in our car, which is fine. But uh, but the book really articulates, I think, what I've heard people say is, you're saying in this book what we've been thinking for years, and finally have the voice for it. Yeah. So I would I would encourage listeners to really check it out. Yeah, cool. Well, Danny, thank you for coming on and sharing with us. And lastly, if, how can our audience? find you, follow you? What are some of the things you have out there in the world that people can look look up and, and uh, ingest? Yeah, they could follow me. I have an author site on Facebook. It's just author Danny Byram. My last name is B-Y-R-A-M by Ram. Author Danny Byram. That's my page. I also have a personal page uh, under my name on Facebook. My website has a blog page and we're, I'm writing blogs constantly on all kinds of stuff related to this. And um, we put those out on social media. We put those out to our mailing list, but I would encourage them if they want to really follow me and get into my world and get into what we are seeing happening out there in the church uh, nationwide, as well as well as worldwide, just to get onto my website, dannybyram.com slash blog and, uh, and, and let us hear from you. Let us, you know, put, let us put you on our mailing list or email list so that you get all of our stuff. Awesome. Well, Danny, thank you so much on behalf of the F2I team for joining us today on this call. And we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Adios. F2I Nation, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We've got a special gift for you that you can find at F2I gift. It's an audio recording of some of our most treasured content called the Rules of Engagement. It's eight rules that are going to help you show up more powerfully in your business, show up more powerfully for your family, show up more powerfully in your relationship with God, in your community, and really in everything that you do. We found that these eight rules really help people move the needle forward and become more of who God created them to be. We hope that you'll enjoy them. Again, there are gifts to you for free at F2I Gift. Dot com. We'll see you next week.